Hey, how are you guys? Uh, it's so great to be here. I'm excited about this message, um, and I think you'll find out why. Um, I honestly believe that the uh, the Lord, you know, I, listen. I mean, I've been doing, the, I've been hanging with Dave for till he went home to be with the Lord for almost four decades. I'm the most blessed guy you'll ever meet. I'm telling you, and. Um, you know, we went home, and with the Berean call, um, we've put about 26 years in in that. So you figure, well, you know, an old dog, an old goodie, but oldie but goodie. Uh, what's the Lord going to do new? He's actually given me something that I'm so have so much fun with. And the fun may not be the right word, but I'm, you guys know me; I'm a goofball. So um, I take very seriously what I do, but I'm still a goofball. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't take myself seriously. And, uh, well, I think this will come across as I present to you. The title of the message is Conversational Witnessing. Conversational Witnessing. You see, I'm really extremely blessed to have friends who are very knowledgeable about science and whose calling it is to use their knowledge to reach the lost. Two of my best buddies are Carl Kirby, some of you guys know him, and Jay Segret. And they're incredible at what they do. But they're about evangelism, you know, which is, you know, so great. So the idea is to help believers stay on the biblical course in the spiritual battle between for those guys and uh, in terms of beliefs about creation and evolution. And I'm blessed because to have them as friends because science is hardly my comfort zone. Um, My father was asked what I was majoring in at the Ohio State University. And his response was, well, he's majoring in the path of least resistance. <laughs> he was right. My undergraduate degree is in fine arts. My, so where do you go from there? Well, I went to graduate school in film. So all I did was eat popcorn and watch movies. <laughs> and, you know, as funny as that sounds, and I, I won't talk about it this time, but... Uh, that's the way I met Dave Hunt. I didn't know who he was. He was looking for somebody to help him write a screenplay, and I was a screenplay writer in Hollywood for a number of years. Anyway, back to this. The reason I need guys like Carl and uh, Jay is because I want to do what they do, but um, I, I can't do it with the complexity that they do it in, which is they need to do that because they're dealing with guys who, you know, are evolutionists who teach these things and are, uh, you know, the big name writers and so on. You know, I just deal with men on the street, you know, so which you'll hear. Anyway, I prefer to swim without the fear of drowning, which you get me too deep in this or too complex, and I got some problems. Now, some of you hearing this may really have the whole creation evolution debate well in hand, but, um, but I think this message might help them to help others because some of us have trouble going there. But we don't need to. You see, I consider myself a C-plus student, and uh, I, this is not self-condescending. This is reality. You know, I'm a C-plus, and teachers, my favorite teachers threw the plus in and so on, so I hang on with that and so on. But you don't need to be anything more than that. You know, God makes it a level playing field. If he can't speak to all of us at a, at a certain level, then, you know, then I guess it must be a gift to be intellectual or brilliant or whatever. Dave Hunt 
was the most brilliant guy I've ever known. He had a memory. I mean, you people that know him have heard him speak and so on. But he was just a, you know, a, a guy who could bring it down and make you understand things that you'd, well, you, you know, you'd think, why didn't I figure that out? How come, how come that didn't come to me? Anyway, there are two things regarding creation witnessing that are foremost on my mind. First, I want to be confident in my knowledge of what God's word declares about creation. Secondly, I want to be confident in communicating the necessity of supernaturalism as the only basis for bringing about the universe and everything in it. Starting with what the scriptures reveal about creation, here are some major points. Number one, God created everything, Genesis 1.1. Number two, he created everything out of nothing, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Everything was perfect, this is number three, at the time of creation. Jesus, who is both God and man, created all things, John 1.3. And in him all things consist and are held together, Colossians 1.17. Man's sin corrupted God's perfect creation, as we know. That's Romans 8.20-22. 20 Number six, mankind's sin separated humanity from God, yet not from the awareness of God as their creator. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. These points are among a host of others supported by many scriptures, and they reveal a creator who is outside of his creation and infinite in his intelligence and power. There are two principal beliefs as to how the universe was formed, naturalism and supernaturalism. Supernaturalism, as I indicated, is well, it has a creator-designer who's not part of creation and who brought everything into existence. Naturalism, which we could also call evolutionism, is the belief that everything that exists came about without anyone or anything initiating its formation or guiding its development, which took place slowly and randomly, according to them, over billions of years. Now, one of the commonly false ideas among many people is that those who reject evolution are rejecting science, which would be, well, that would put Bible-believing Christians in the doofus category, right? That myth makes addressing creation versus evolution a very worthwhile endeavor. And it's, it's not a matter of defending a Christian's intelligence, but rather challenging the myth that evolution is science. It's been said that it helps to cut down the trees that false beliefs are doing their deceitful work behind. We're gonna talk about that later in the conference in some of my messages. Well, what are some of those erroneous beliefs? Is the study of evolution a scientific endeavor? No, a scientific endeavor involves observation, measurement, experiment, and the formulation and testing of a concluding hypothesis. Evolution can't go there. What then is the study of evolution? Well, it's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking about the universe and how it was formed. Although it poses as a scientific study, it is in fact scientism. That's the term we use when science has moved from truth to what man believes. It's a religion. It's a belief system. 
nothing more. It's a speculative ideology. As I said, it's a religion that cannot be verified or falsified by true science. Why then bother to bring creation versus evolution discussion into witnessing opportunities that you might have? Well, there's a a very significant reason. It's a great way to start talking about God. And that's what witnessing is all about. A good friend of mine who's one of my heroes when it comes to sharing the gospel has taught me that witnessing is not a presentation, but rather conversation. And conversations are usually open to asking questions and getting responses. The guy I'm talking about, as I said, he's my hero in this, is Mark Cahill. He's, uh, you know, I have a, a number of friends who are street witnesses. And um, I, I'm just in awe of them, and they've really impressed me and, and helped me to get into this in a big way. Well, questions, see, what about questions? Well, they keep the conversation rolling. Now, I'm going to give you some examples. Now, again, I'm talking about evolution creation, but this is, as you'll hear as I move through this, this has to do with witnessing at any level about any subject because the goal and the objective is to let the Holy Spirit do it because you don't know what's going to come from questions that you ask, but guide and direct you to the word of God, to God's truth. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just giving you some examples. I may say, well, do you believe in evolution? And somebody might answer, oh, of course I do. And I would ask, well, what's the main thing that causes you to believe in it? A response might be, hey, it's a scientific fact. And my response to that is, seriously? As you might expect, that conversation could get interesting. But what could give it legs, meaning that it might go in a worthwhile direction, i.e. toward the, toward the gospel? Um, well, it could end up with plenty of other follow-up questions that are based upon reason, logic, common sense, a bit of science savvy, and certainly biblical truth. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I can do that part and that part. I'm not so good at that part and so on. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to just get into a conversation with somebody, okay? Uh, And you'll see how that works out. One of the things I love about asking questions is that it usually avoids immediate defensiveness on the part of those being questioned. Few like to have answers forced upon them, and especially when they have no particular interest in or have a limited knowledge of the subjects. What's hoped for is the conversation and the questions will lay the groundwork and motivation for a person seeking answers. You never know who the Lord's going to have you sit beside or what the situation might be. Well, here's another question. You know, I've been told that there's no God and that everything came about by an incredibly long process of nature. Does that sound right to you? And the response may be, yeah, that's, that's probably correct. So then my response to the person's agreement regarding evolution could be, well, can you think of anything that's really complex that came into existence on its own? Or it could be, so you believe living things evolved from non-living things. Have you ever heard of any examples of that? And I hope, and I'm going to give you lots more questions and responses. 
Do I sound like a, you know, a science geek? <laughs> no, because I'm not. But I'm interested in people, and I want to know what they're thinking about some of this. So what do you think of the belief that everything exists came from nothing? And the response could be, well, that makes no sense. Things have always existed. Well, here's something that I know. You know, there's a law of physics that says the universe is running down. So it must have had a beginning. But before the beginning, what do you think there was? The answer could be, well, nothing, I guess. But don't Christians believe God made everything out of nothing? Yes. Well, how's that possible? Isn't God subject to the same physical laws that you refer to? So he must have had a beginning. Well, not necessarily. Not if he exists outside his creation and is not subject to the laws of his create, that he created. If that's the case, which the Bible claims, he has always existed. Some contend that God made everything out of himself and therefore everything is a part of God, meaning that everything is God. You guys have had Warren Smith here. So nobody can handle that stuff like Warren. But that's, uh, that's the belief of Hinduism and Buddhism, and it's known as pantheism and panentheism. And it's popularized, as we know, hugely by, well, an impersonal force. For example, Star Wars. Hinduism and Buddhism teach early forms of naturalism and evolutionism that propose the existence and development of everything without personal, there's no personal design and there's no superintendence. If everything is God, then God must also be a, comprised of evil that exists. Well, we've come to learn that's the dark side of the force, and not the God of biblical Christianity who is perfectly good and holy. Well, here's another question. Do you think that humans evolve from apes? The response, well, it's hard to believe, but I guess that's what all the evidence points to. You see, I'm making up these responses, but some of them I've already heard. You know, so I'm giving you some things. But I never know what, you know what the response is going to be. So it's not like you have to be clever or anything like that. If you're interested in people and you love people and you want to know what they're thinking, why not just ask them some questions? Because you can bring them to start thinking about the answers that they're giving. That's called planting a seed, okay? Um, Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll repeat this. Uh, one man plants another waters, but God gives the increase, right? Neither he that plants nor he that waters, okay, is anything. This is God's work, but we get to be his instruments and so on. So you never know who you're going to meet, where they may be. Have they heard the gospel? A lot of times I often think about um, the thief on the cross. Very little dialogue between Jesus and, you know, this thief. I, I have to believe that somebody was witnessing to him because Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. He turned to Jesus. That's repentance. It's just a matter of turning. He turned to Jesus after mocking him at the beginning, remember? So I think somebody planted some seeds or somebody watered some seeds that were already planted. Well, so this person that said, well, it's, you know, I think it's probably the case that uh, we evolved from, you know, apes or 
some kind of animal form. So I say, so it's from slime to invertebrates to bony fish to creeping, slithering things to apes and then to you and me? Well, the guy says, that, that's, about I want, that's what I've been taught. Although I think we've lost ground when it comes to our sense of morality. It's really interesting when you're talking to people, some, some gems, they, they come out, <laughs> yeah, you're right there. Well, what happened to morality? Well, how can there be that, you know? Animals are neither moral or amoral. Or immoral, sorry. Can you think of any animal that is a clear transition or link between two different kinds of animals? Well, I've been told there are, but I don't remember what they are. Did you know that there are millions upon millions of fossils, yet there's not one that exhibits transitional characteristics necessary to be reasonably considered a, a bridge between or link between two different kinds of animals. Oh, what do you know of what do you know of the Big Bang theory, other than the television comedy show? Well, supposedly it's the way the universe began. Why do you say supposedly? And the response could be, well, I'm an engineer and I have trouble believing what I recognize as incredible design in nature and the way we go about building things. I can't see all of that having started with an immeasurable explosion. I like the TV show, though, but I don't buy the so-called scientific theory. And then I would ask somebody like that, so are you a Christian? And the response could be, no, not really. I, I bailed out on organized religion. But why was that? Well, I was a Catholic, and I got tired of being told what to believe, and especially the reason given for it. The reason being, or the reason given is because the church says so. That was huge in my conversion. Did you stop believing in God? And the response is, well, probably not. I just don't go there anymore. As an engineer, would it be your guess that God is the designer of the universe? Response could be, oh, it'd be more than a guess. My math is pretty good in the astounding complexities I see in everything from plants to animals to the to the human body, make the idea that they came about randomly, randomly a bad guess. As far as probability goes, it's a farce. It could never happen by chance, in my view. Now, you're not always going to get these, these particular answers, but you're going to get really interesting answers and something that makes you think, of, well, what else could I ask this person about? Did you know, to the same guy, the engineers, you know, I might say, did you know that God, what God said in the Bible, um, he, that he said, come, let us reason together? And then I might say, you know, I really enjoy talking with you because you seem like a very reasonable guy. And response, when you quote something from scripture, uh, you know, again, remember, I'm on a street with everyday people. I'm not in a classroom or I'm not debating you know, Dawkins or, or whoever it might be. I'm just talking to people who maybe have less science background than I have. I just want to know what they think. So I might say, did you know that God said in the Bible, come let us reason together? And I might say, I really enjoy talking to you because you seem like, a, again, like a very reasonable guy. And a question could be, and I've had this kind of thing, where does it say in the Bible God wants to reason with us? I like that. I say, Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse 18. Let me show it to you so you can read it for yourself. 
this is really important because when I was challenging these Protestants, I was the last one in my family to come to Christ. And my wife came to the Lord a year and a half before I did, and she started hanging out with these evangelicals. And I said, okay, you know, I'm always running these questions by the priests and the nuns, you know, in my background and my education. I'm going to run it by these guys. So I asked them a question. And they looked at each other. They opened the Bible and said, here, Tom, read it for yourself. What? I never had that kind of, you know, answer throughout my 20-some years in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, you see, what I've presented are possible questions and answers. And as I've been saying, we never know where a conversation will take us and, and when we go about trying to share the gospel. Sometimes we hit a brick wall. Fine. person wasn't open to it. You just keep a, keep a sweet attitude and move on. Lord, give me another opportunity, whatever it might be. Well, even in the most abrupt rejection of what we share, however, guess what? Seeds that can lead to conviction have been planted. Whether or not they take root and bear fruit is up to the person. The process of witnessing with its conversations, questions, and answers is to be carried out with complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Our part is simply to be obedient to his leading and then to be thankful for the opportunities that the Lord provides. We don't know how this is going to be used, but we do know this. Leaning upon the Holy Spirit, conviction is going to be brought to bear, and it's up to the person whether he accepts or rejects it. Well, I'll give you a few more questions. Do you think that all living things evolved? From an answer could be, from what I understand about evolution, that's the process, and it includes everything. Well, what about some things that can't work if they had to evolve? Oh, yeah? Give me, a, give me an example. Oh, how about your eyes? Their complexity is mind-blowing. The number and speed of functions that they carry out are far beyond most advanced supercomputers, which were designed, by the way. Yet the eye itself could not function unless every incredibly intricate part were in place. Forget a potential eye hanging in there for millions or billions of years for what it needs to work. Guy would maybe respond to that and say, yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying. And I would say, well, speaking of hearing, it's the same for your ears. Given their astounding complexity, if ears are dependent upon random, mutation-driven developments, progressing from simple to complex over long periods of time in order to function, we would all be deaf. All the multitude of astoundingly complex components of eyes and ears must be in place at once or Neither body part will work. It's as simple as that. Well, another question is, no doubt, you've heard the question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you ever wonder who came first, man or woman? Well, the response could be, well, I never thought about it, and I'm aware that Christians believe that man was created first, but I don't know about that. Are you thinking they evolved? Well, yeah. So which one evolved from the other? 
Does it make any difference? Well, probably not, as long as the male or female can evolve the necessary opposite sexual body parts to enable impregnation and childbirth. Do you have any idea how that could happen? Well, no, not really. My response, you're not the only one. Evolutionists admit they don't have a clue. This is so impossible. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, that's why they don't. They don't want to hear that question because they have no answer for it. Among lots of other things that they don't have any answers for. You see, all the questions and responses I presented to you, again, are ones that I made up or ones that I've had some experience with and so on. But I, I want to keep this, you know, kind of here and there. And so what am I trying to avoid? I don't want us to get into the mentality of I need a methodology. I need to say this and then they have to say this and then I have to take them this. You know, some apologetics works that way, especially, especially when you're dealing with cults, but not necessarily. Um, my goal is to get a good conversation going uh, in the direction of God's word. I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit to pull that off. You see, it often depends on circumstances. And y you never know what the circumstances are going to be. In mid-March, we got four feet of snow in Bend. A good icebreaker to talk. That was a pun intended, by the way. So just excuse me for that one. Well, I could say, hey, shoveled any snow lately? <laughs> We were, we were grinding in Ben. Peg and I were locked in the house for three days. Our driveway, it's just gravel, but it's, it was like 90 feet long, and we had four feet of snow. We couldn't get out. Um, Peg has these ideas about, well, Tom, we have snowshoes. What's in the freezer, honey? <laughs> um, well, again... When the question's asked, we don't know where it's going to go, but, but you know, I keep repeating myself, but that's the deal. I want you to know that. So I just trust in the Lord to give me a response to the person's response and maybe a follow-up question. One of the goals, in addition to taking the talk in the direction of biblical truth, particularly our creator Jesus and the gospel, is to get people I'm chatting with to think to think. It's amazing how much stuff we have rolling around our head we, we've never really thought through. You know, I was speaking at a, this is my, some of my favorite group, about 180 young, in their early 20s, pushing push 30, this is 180 of them down in uh, southern England, and it was a conference, and I was one of the speakers, and I opened up, and I said, hey, look, gang, these speakers and I, we are thrilled to be here. And you know what we want? We want you guys to think biblically. And I just let that hang for a minute. I said, but you know what? We'll be thrilled if you just think. Because they're equipped to do that. Absolutely. But they need to be exhorted. They need to be encouraged to do that. Well, you see, with some of the thoughts that they have, it's, it's going to be most likely a denial of their creator. Therefore, it's a great subject to address, and especially because of all the myths, the evolution myths that are out there. Additionally, 
and as I mentioned this earlier, a science degree is rarely necessary because the myths have more to do with irrationality and a lack of common sense than knowing the atomic number on a periodic table. As I hope you can see, this is not, as I mentioned, this is not a by-the-numbers witnessing method devised by TA. No, it's an approach that involves the Holy Spirit helping, helping a believer to put together lots of questions on different subjects that will get a conversation going and then directing it as he leads. So we say, well, you know, I, I like conversation, but the question is, do you have it on your heart and mind to get that conversation, not forcing it, but let it take place, but still, that's where you want to take this. So even though if there's an answer, that's fine, but let's come back with a question that's going to move in that direction. You could ask, what do you think about religion? Or do you think it's possible to have a personal relationship with God? Or what do you think about Jesus? Or if you know or are in the presence of someone who uses the Lord's name in vain, more out of habit probably than intending anything mean-spirited by it, here's a question you might consider asking. You keep referring to Jesus. Sounds like you know him. And I was wondering what you could tell me about him. You know, again, it's not mean-spirited. Why not? When you hear it over and over again, hey, time out, wait. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, well, I don't want to belabor that. But as I said, it could be a very interesting conversation. Or it could be a very short conversation. You know, But the Lord knows. See, the, uh, it might be a little too bold for some, yet boldness is necessary according to the scriptures. Why? Because the critical issue is where a person will spend eternity. Where he's going to spend, he or she is going to spend eternity. The Apostle Paul declared in his prayer for himself as well as for us. And for me, that utterance may be given, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. We're all ambassadors, if we know Christ. To make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's Ephesians chapter chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, I have a new excitement and for an old dude, I'll be 75, you know, in, in November. For an old dude, it's, it's not a refresher course because I try to really be fresh, fresh in what I do, especially with the brain call. But this is really something I'm excited about. I think you'll get that idea. Well, what is this new thing, this new excitement in the Lord, which was too long in coming for me? I do street witnessing. Okay, I went to Scotland last year with a group from our fellowship, which is Calvary Chapel Bend, and there were about eight of us, and we ministered to the streets of Glasgow and Edinburgh. Now, I say Edinburgh because they kept correcting me. I kept saying Edinburgh, Edinburgh. No, Tom, Tom, it's Edinburgh, Edinburgh. I said, oh, you mean like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh? 
You guys get that? Pittsburgh? <laughs> Pittsburgh. Well, this is later than I thought, and I just got off a plane. <laughs> well, the people of those cities, for the most part, they seem dead spiritually. I'm guessing that the churches there having their roots in Reformation theology and Calvinism has a lot to do with their present spiritual condition. As you know, Calvinism isn't big on evangelizing. It doesn't fit with their theology. Most of our success came when we were traveling on trains, however, to those cities. And, and people would sit, that sat near us, uh, they would notice that we were Americans, our accents and so on. And, uh, and they would start conversations. What did I say? They would start conversations with us. You got it, conversations. It was so incredibly natural. The question always came, well, what brings you to Scotland? Or some variation on that. Our response was a variation on this. Well, we're here to share the hope and love of Jesus. I don't remember anybody getting upset over that. They just want to know what we're doing and how we're going about it. As you may be aware, just like today, I'm on airplanes a lot, both nationally and internationally. Here's my favorite question from the person sitting next to me. Not the person who's wearing sound-deadening earphones or the ones who's practically falling asleep on my shoulder. I'm talking about those who are interested in chatting. Here is my absolute favorite question from them. What is it you do? And here's my standard answer every time. I'm in the spiritual consumer advocacy business. And the response is, say what? So I repeat, I'm in the spiritual consumer advocacy business. I usually start off by mentioning that there are more than a few religious con men around along with those making up their own theology and promoting their own ideas, and especially on TV. I declare that they need to be seriously scrutinized, and I explain that that's what I encourage Christians to do. I uh, think that's not a conversation appetizer that uh, heads right for the main course. I nearly always get to explain what being a Berean is all about, and how I encourage Christians not to buy into what these popular preachers are telling them. Not that there aren't good preachers out there, good teachers, but whoever it is, they need to check them out with what the Word of God says. I explain that the Bible is my source of God's communication to mankind, and any spiritual information outside of that consists of what? Guesses, speculations, the opinions of mankind or simply the schemes of religious rip-off artists. I use terms like caveat emptor, Latin, let the buyer beware. Throw in things like the value of consumer reports. And if I can remember their names, I mention people like David Horowitz or Ralph Nader who are consumer advocates. I have never, I have never had unbelievers give me a negative reaction as I explain what I do. They've always appreciated what I've said. And which has led some, some terrific questions and some terrific conversations with, with these people. Now, you know, I, I'm, that's just my own personal deal and I can use that. But um, 
it, again, it's all about getting, conversa- getting into conversations and seeing where the Holy Spirit leads them. Although it would be incredibly wonderful if the conversation ended with the person that I'm talking to to give his or her life to Christ. That would be fantastic. But again, as I mentioned earlier, the scriptures tell us that there are other aspects of the conversation process. One man or woman plants, others water, but God gives the increase. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. So conversations can involve planting seeds or watering seeds that others have planted. Do you know who and what and who did what and what? You don't have to. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knows, and he will give you what that person maybe needs to hear next. Who was it? Apollos? Remember? He was preaching the word of God, but he comes along Aquila and Priscilla to show him more about this, Okay. That's the way it works. In effect, God takes over. As the Apostle Paul writes, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You know, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses lady came to my door a couple of weeks ago, and I was doing my taxes. And since I'm never at home at that time, I took it as a divine appointment. Divine appointment. And That helped my attitude because I was grinding over my usual write-offs were now worthless in this year's tax return. So it was a nice break, (laughs) okay? My whole approach was conversation. I started off by asking them what they were, what were they, what were you guys before you were JWs? And I told them I used to be Roman Catholic. One of the reasons I said that I left the church was because Whenever I had a question throughout my Catholic schooling, the reasons for believing, I had to believe what the church taught. As you can see, I was subtly showing similarities between my former church and the Watchtower Society. I knew these ladies were subject to the same kind of organizational control. I also asked them if they'd ever been in a Catholic church, and neither one of them had. So I said, well, if you ever get the opportunity, you're going to see uh, behind the altar, you're going to see a cross. But it's not exactly a cross, it's a crucifix. There's a body still hanging on that cross. I said, the body was supposed to represent Jesus. And then I asked them if they knew why the body was still on the cross. Well, they were fascinated, but, but they had no answer. I told them that in Catholicism, their Jesus did not pay the full penalty for the sins of mankind. We were taught that we had to add to that payment either by our sufferings here on earth or later in purgatory in order to expiate our own sins. I said, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And they seemed to agree. I added that I was very concerned for my relatives who believed in the Jesus of their Catholic Church, a false Christ that couldn't save them from their sins. I told them that I was just as concerned for them because they knew the Jesus that I believed in, because we went over that, was not the Jesus they were taught in the Watchtower Society. You see, sometimes, although we're talking about conversations, sometimes, especially with cults, you got to get to a point in which you know what they're hanging on to and so on. Now, that's not going to happen on the street because you may not 
you know, you may not know where the person is or what kind of religious background they had. But you see, cultists at your door are trying to convert you, so I want to keep, keep it at a conversation mood, yes, for the most part, and then try to rock their boat if I can. Besides giving them some seeds I hopefully planted in our easygoing conversation, I want to give them something to really think about as they walk off. After I get to the fact that the Jesus we believe in were clearly different and that we both couldn't be right, either they or I, uh, are in serious trouble. I mentioned that a false Christ cannot save anyone and they were, at that point, they're checking their watches. (laughs) Do I want to hang out with this person any longer? Knowing that they're going to walk off, I said, look, after you leave here, I hope you will read John chapter 8, verse 24. The verse says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am, there's an italic H-E in there, but that's not in the original. Unless you believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Well, the Jews knew that Jesus was claiming to be God by saying Jehovah God, by the way, if ye believe not that I am. That's why they took up stones to stone him, as we know. Well, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses New Translation Bible says, and I always have a copy of that, by the way, this is why I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am the one, that's what they add, you will die in your sins. Now, whether it says the one, the point I make with them is that if they don't have the correct Jesus, the biblical Jesus, as he said, they will die in their sins. My prayer is that as I watch them walk away is that the Holy Spirit will convict them over that verse. One of the ladies wrote that verse on her iPad and said that she would check it out. I prayed that she would. Again, we're, we're, we're God's instruments. But God says, if perchance God will deal with their heart, that's his work. Our work is just to be obedient. Well, I said earlier, the Lord had given me real excitement for witnessing as well as some different ways of going about it. And I'm going to show you a couple. Those of you that know me know that, as I mentioned earlier, that I'm a goofball. I I don't take myself seriously, but as I said, I take what I do very seriously. So I have fun with this. Um, on the other hand, there's so much joy, and that's why I hope you get out of this, in doing what I'm talking about here. And I do admit, uh, maybe sometimes I have too much fun. Well, Thomas, can you put up the first, uh, first image? Okay, here's a shot of me witnessing in front of a Walmart. And the story behind it is a a pet peeve that I have with the Salvation Army. Have you ever, and I mean ever, been given anything from the bell ringer related to salvation? Raise your hand if you have. I guarantee you lots, if not most people, think they are doing something to gain God's favor by putting money in the kettle. That's worse than delusionary. That's a fraud. Well... Let's see the next one, Thomas. The bell ringer, Marvin. He's my Calvary Chapel buddy. And we're on the same page, which is why he took the job as a bell ringer. 
Well, the Walmart security guy came out. We were separated probably by maybe 20 feet. I was over in the backgrounds. But the, the Walmart security guy came out and started harassing me and telling me that I couldn't hand out everything, anything. I was passing out tracks left and right. And, uh, well, I said, yeah, and yeah, I, I have been passing out things. He says, you can't do that. Well, I said, well, what if I don't pass anything out but just had conversations with people? Well, he said he couldn't do anything about that as long as I wasn't passing anything out. Well, after he left, I went over to my buddy and told him what the guy said. And Marvin said, give me those tracks. <laughs> he had about, well, I had about 100 of them. He puts them in his apron, okay, and everybody that went by. Before that, he was giving out pencils. But now he had, he had uh, I think it was, at that point, it was the four-minute four minute track, okay, or, or the four-minute gospel track that we have. Well, I stood beside him, and, we had, and I had some great conversations with the folks who took the tracks. So, now, speaking of tracks, I know these are two, besides our four-minute gospel tract, that the Lord gave me the idea for. I'll let you decide. <laughs> when you go out to dinner and leave a tip afterwards, if you're like me, the tip goes on the credit card. Hey, not anymore. At least very rarely. Let's see, can we see the next one, Thomas? Now I put the tip in this tract. At the beginning of, of the meal, when the waitress or waiter's taking orders, I find out their name and have some, you know, some little chat with them and conversation and so on, but I want to know their name. Um, after the meal, I put the payment for the meal on my credit card and later hand the server the tract with cash showing sticking outside of it. The next part may come as a stunner for those of you who know Mr. Frugalicious, who will remain unnamed. <laughs> he actually does put 20% or more <laughs> in the tip. Now, for you guys that don't know, Mr. Frugalicious is right here. <laughs> well, that is nothing compared to the offer, which is the gospel that is contained in the tract. I love this. I have always, always gotten a great smile and a wonderful thank you from the waiter or waitress. That's happened every time so far. My prayer as I'm leaving the restaurant later is that they will likewise receive the salvation message found within the tract. Okay, now here's another one. That's, can we get to the next tract? Oh, okay, so you can see the, the money sticking out. I like to have that showing out. <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't, maybe some of you here, you know, are work as, as waiters or waitresses and so on, but what I've noticed is the name is on the, the bill, so I don't know how they divide up the, the tips at the end, but I, no matter how they do it, I want that person who I've had conversation with to know, you know, I'm giving, or if it's my wife Peggy, that we're giving them the money. Okay, as well as our heart is for what's on the inside of it and so on. So, okay, but this next one, let's go with the next one. Okay. Uh, yay, 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 yay. Um, you see, this thing, this tract here has more, as I said, to, to do to change my heart than for the folks I intended to minister. 
I hope not, but it, it, is, it has changed my heart. You see, I have a bad attitude toward cardboard sign-carrying panhandlers. And the reason is I've had personal experiences and some of the discourse when you're trying to help them out get pretty ugly, sometimes nasty. I realize that some people along those lines are truly in distress. And I know that others are making a career out of asking for money. So it's hard to know which is which, and that's why I came up with this, I call it a snack track. I staple a food bar to the tract and keep some in my car. They have favorite street locations in my town, and I drive past on my way to work or home from work, and I pass out the snack track. You know, they've been sitting there, in some cases, most of the day, just give them something to eat. Uh, but, but, as it says... It's more than just a snack bar. And on occasion, I'll add some money if I feel led to do that. And I have at times. You know, I, I remember this one lady standing out there. It was almost snowing. She had pajama bottoms on, and she had a cardboard thing. And I, 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 she may have been barefooted. I, I can't remember. Uh, I may have driven around the block to make sure that I got the tract with money in it for her. I just let the Lord to do it. You know, Jesus said... If you have opportunity, you know, feed the poor, deal with it. Uh, certainly our first deal is for the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in trouble and so on. But um, anyway, as I said, this is more to get my heart right and so on. You see, it's the unchanging gospel that when it's believed saves people, not the package. A couple of last things that need to be said, although I'm truly having as I said, a joyful time in my witnessing. But you know, witnessing is not an option. It's a commission. It's the great commission, Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said, Jesus, unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Secondly, some of you may be thinking, witnessing comes easy to me, well, because I'm in ministry. And I don't, I don't remember the verse I just quoted, uh, you know, go ye into all the world if you are in ministry and preach the gospel. But Tom, you have a seminary or Bible college degree, so, so you're trained to go out and witness. Seriously? The last time I was asked about where I got my academic training to do what I do, my response was, I majored in the path of least resistance. That's what my dad told people I was majoring in at The Ohio State University. My degrees are in fine arts and film. On the other hand, I had four decades hanging out with Dave Hunt, so I don't slight that one, one bit. Nevertheless, the bulk of my conversation, questions, and responses come from what? From reading God's word every day, rarely without exception. That has nothing to do with my ministry work. I mean, it helps. But it takes place starting around 5 a.m. and goes on for about an hour every day. Is there anyone here who can't spend some time every day hearing directly from God through his word? But when it comes to conversation asking questions, I, I admit I may have an advantage over most of you. I'm Irish. Although I've not kissed the Blarney Stone... The gift of gab is in my tradition. So other than that, 
other, you know, I'm kidding. But we are on the same playing field. Our God is the same God. I don't care how brilliant you are. I mean, you know, we, we have seen it, especially when you go through all these guys that are, you know, the eggheads of evolution. You know, God says, you know, it's the foolish that he's enabled to do. He makes it a level playing field, so we don't, none of us have any excuse. I, you know, again, I was with the most brilliant guy I've ever known. But, you know, and Dave taught me a lot. But when it comes to being used of the Lord, his instruments, it's not by Dave Hunt. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit. And if we're believers, we all have that spirit. My prayer is that our loving God will give us all an increasing desire to, well, a desire and a heart to, to witness of the love he has for all of his created beings. So let's pray to that end. Lord, <laughs> you're such a wonderful God. You know, we've, last week we were reminded, and we shouldn't have to be reminded, but we were reminded in a wonderful way of what you have done for us as we celebrated. He is risen, and we know what he went through for that, for us. So, Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you haven't left us to our own devices. You've given us all that we need if we're willing to receive it and then use it to your glory. And I pray that for myself and all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen, you guys. how brilliant you are. I mean, you know, we, we have seen it, especially when you go through all these guys that are, you know, the eggheads of evolution. You know, God says, you know, it's the foolish that he's enabled to do. He makes it a level playing field, so we don't, none of us have any excuse. I was, you know, again, I was with the most brilliant guy I've ever known, but, you know, and Dave taught me a lot. But when it comes to being used of the Lord, his instruments, it's not by Dave Hunt. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by his spirit. And if we're believers, we all have that spirit. My prayer is that our loving God will give us all an increasing desire to, well, a desire and a heart to to witness of the love he has for all of his created beings. So let's pray to that end. Lord, you're such a wonderful God. You know, we've, last week we were reminded, and we shouldn't have to be reminded, but we were reminded in a wonderful way of what you have done for us as we celebrated. He is risen, and we know what he went through for that, for us. So, Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you haven't left us to our own devices. You've given us all that we need if we're willing to receive it and then use it to your glory. And I pray that for myself and all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen, you guys. And all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys.